This morning's scripture, Romans 16, 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory forevermore. Through Jesus Christ, amen. Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you that your spirit has led us through this entire book as we come to the final message on this magnificent letter that Paul penned by your spirit so many years ago. Lord, we pray that your spirit would give us wisdom yet again this morning as we search your words and try to understand them and glorify you by putting them to work in our lives, Father. Lord, I pray the words I speak be not of me, but bring you glory, for it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Maybe I just thought it was working. There we go. Okay, so we're here we are. Three years and roughly two months, and we are at the last message of the entire book of Romans. And it's been a, a good journey. I hope that you've all enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. I hope that you all have learned a lot as well. And as we say goodbye to the book of Romans, I don't ever want us to truly ever say goodbye, goodbye to it, because it's a foundational book. It's a foundational letter. It gives us so much in Christianity and what we should be doing individually and as a church and just what it looks like. There are going to be things that we've looked at as I've said when we started this book, that would stretch us, that would cause us to think things that we didn't ordinarily think about the gospel or about Christianity or about ourselves or about God. And clearly it has taken that and it has definitely made our outlook on God hopefully bigger, our understanding of him greater and even our understanding of our own selves greater. It taught us about ourselves. It taught us at the beginning who we are as fallen mankind. Remember chapter 3, there are none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who seeks after God on their own. Just mankind, they don't do that. We don't do that. It gave us a better understanding of who we are. And then as we move forward through four, five, six, and in that area we saw, here comes Jesus. We see our brokenness through the fall of Adam, and then we see the second Adam in Jesus, and we see what he has to offer us, and how all men died in the original Adam, but Jesus being the second Adam, that he lived his life so that all people could have the opportunity to live and live forever through faith. And then there was a lot of discussion about faith and works and, and how we can't earn our salvation and how our salvation was and is a gift of God. And therein leaves no room for any man to boast. 
After that, in 8, 9, 10, 11, and part of 12, those are very difficult chapters because we get to see or we got to see sort of behind the scenes, behind the curtain, if you will, of God and his sovereignty and how he works to the extent that we could even understand how he works. But it taught us a lot about God and it taught us a lot about his sovereign choice. And we saw that it wasn't man who wills, but God who chooses. And I think that magnifies God in as much that it gives us more reason to praise him, to be thankful to him, to glorify him for so many of his wonderful gifts that he lavishes us with each and every day, the greatest of which was his son. Not only did we see that God sovereignly chose Israel as his people, but he also sovereignly chooses and chose individuals. And that anyone who believes is chosen of God. Then we went on to witness Paul giving advice to the church. Giving advice to the church and that we should be steadfast. He told us what we should ignore for the sake of unity and what we should not ignore for the sake of unity. And he went on for several chapters discussing that. And I think that was rather eye-opening as with respect to the church and how we are supposed to govern ourselves and the things that we're supposed to be okay with and the things that we're not supposed to be okay with or the foundational type issues that we should never sacrifice. Then we come to today and we come to the end. We come to what's called the doxology. And probably most of you have heard that term but most of the time when you hear the word doxology, what do you think of? You think of what we just sang whenever we took up the offering, right? You think of that being a doxology. Praise God from whom blessings flow. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That is a traditional doxology in the church. But there are many other doxologies as well. That doxology was composed by an Anglican bishop. His name was Tom, Thomas Ken in 1709. So that's from where we get the doxology that we sing after we take up the offering every Sunday. But as I said, there are many other doxologies. The word doxology means a spoken or written expression of praise. A spoken or written expression of praise to God. And you can go through the book of Psalms, and you can see many, many different doxologies. David was very good at writing doxologies and praising God with the words that he penned. There are many doxologies in the New Testament as well. Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So we see, again, Paul writing this doxology. He is praising God. Now to him, to him is God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ever ask or even think about 
according to the power at work within us, being his spirit. To him be glory in, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. A beautiful example of a doxology in Ephesians. We look at Jude, which, by the way, I think is the book that Brad and Brady is going to be concentrating on while I'm away. This is probably my favorite doxology in the entire Bible. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time, now and forevermore. How beautiful that is. How beautiful and comforting those words are. When we worry about stumbling, when we worry about there being a roadblock in our way with respect to our faith, we should go to this passage. Go to this passage, and it gives such encouragement that God is going to keep us from stumbling. That it is Him that keeps us from stumbling. We don't keep ourselves from stumbling, even though we feel like it. He keeps us from stumbling. And He's going to present us blameless before the presence of His glory. And how does He feel about this? He loves doing it. He does it with great joy. So all those issues that we worry about cropping up and causing us to stumble or causing us to fall, he's not going to allow us to fall. It is Christ that keeps us from stumbling. And not only does he keep us from stumbling, but he promises that he's going to present us blameless before the presence of his glory. And he's going to do it joyfully. It brings God joy to present us blameless. These are like toasts, these doxologies. They're like little toasts whenever you have a toast at a wedding or a toast some special occasion. That's sort of the way that Paul develops these. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless. I mean, those, those are just comforting words and comforting words that we can rely on. They're promises that, that Paul gives us about God and that he is going to make sure that that happens so that we make it to the very end. And we should be able to turn to that in difficult times and know that. It's a majestic tribute to a very majestic and glorious creator. And that's exactly the way Paul ends up addressing him here. To God be the glory, the majesty, dominion, and authority. He's always had it before time began. He has it now, and he's going to have it for all eternity in the future. But that's not the one we're studying this morning. We are studying the one at the end of Romans. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery,
Well, the first half of the message is not recorded, Bruce, because I didn't have my mic on. But, oh well. But God is able to give you strength. He is able to strengthen you. This was a great church in Rome. And we've seen that. And we saw last week and the week before how Paul was so encouraged by them. Their faith was known throughout the world. They were a very strong church. Yet, he warned them, you need to be on the lookout for these activities. And he warned them that there may be times whenever you may not be as strong as what you think you are, given the situation. There were dangers, and Paul was warning them against those dangers. And if those dangers took hold, it would weaken the church. It would weaken the church. And so Paul wanted to be of an encouraging voice to the church. He is assuring them that God will strengthen them. That no matter what attack may happen, God's going to give them strength. He's going to make them into a very strong congregation. That's the beauty of God's grace. God's grace isn't just in the past, where God gave us grace to save us, or God gave us grace to get some, through something. God's grace just isn't now. God's grace is in the future. It's future grace. Piper refers to it as future grace. As a matter of fact, he wrote an entire book that's entitled Future Grace. Strongly recommend it. Google it, get it, read it. But it's talking about the grace that we are assured that God's going to give us. You say, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, if you think about it, it does. Things that you dread, things that just make your mind fret and fear. He tells us, don't worry, don't fear. And the reason he tells us, don't worry, fret, and fear is because when we get there, he's going to give us the grace to get us through. Whatever the situation is. I'm sure you've seen things happen in other people's lives and you're like, I don't, I can't imagine how that person got through that or dealt with that or endured that. The only way that we endure is when we get to that point is we can be assured that God's going to get us the grace to move through it. No matter what the situation, no matter how horrific it may seem to us, the reason we don't know and we don't understand is because we're not in that place and God 